are the voyages of the starship Therapize. Its continuing mission, to explore strange inner worlds, to seek out new insights and new realizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Totoro, Totoro. So, did you like it? Yeah, what? Spock, where did you come from? I heard you say that you were about to watch Miyazaki's Totoro in preparation for the pod today, so I've been standing behind you since 0800. Spock, that's creepy. No, it's supportive. Mmm, it's only supportive if I know you're there. If I don't know you're there, then it's creepy. Or is it whimsical, like a charming forest spirit or an elusive soot sprite? Damn it! Those guys were real whimsical. Okay, I'll allow it. But in future, please leave the adorable lurking to Totoro. Agreed. Hi, friends at home. I'm Justine Maston, LMFT, Yogini, writer, researcher, and captain of this particular ship. Welcome aboard. And I'm Laura Sigarski, LMFT, writer, researcher, Spockian first officer, and I've checked all the dark corners of the ship for soot sprites, and I can say we don't have any. No, oh, that's vaguely disappointing. Yeah. Just a reminder to the listeners at home that just because we are therapists does not mean that we are your therapists. Unless, of course, we are your therapists. This podcast is for the purposes of education and humor and is not intended to replace seeing your own therapist. Yes. So I can now say that I have watched <laughs> Miyazaki's Spirited Away and My Neighbor Totoro. Totoro. Did we, did we do an app on Spirited Away? Um, we have talked about Spirited Away. Yes, and our producers just gave us a... a, a, a mm-hmm. So so the answer is yes, yes, we have. <laughs> well, you know what? This is our 47th episode. Right. And I feel like we are, I mean, we could never remember things well, but I feel like now we are permitted <laughs> to not remember. Yeah, because we've done, we, we've been doing this now for two years. Two years. years, yeah, yeah, two, two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I three three more apps after this one. It will be at fifty. Yeah, we're gonna have to do something. I feel like we should. Yeah, I don't know what that something will be, but luckily we have at least two episodes to figure mm-hmm. that out. Maybe a Q and A. Friends at home, are, do you have cues that you want us to a? Oh yeah, that that's let that's us a know. Nice idea. Yeah. Yeah, well. We could, uh, I don't know, do some like, I don't know, balloon sound effects. <laughs> Maybe, no, that wouldn't really work. They don't really sound like much unless you pop them and that might be triggering for folks, listeners who yeah, have PTSD. Yeah, you make like fart noises. And that's that's not very celebratory. No, I was thinking more like maybe kazoos or like uh, oh. hooray. <laughs> Uh, Brian, go ahead and start looking for celebratory noises. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> um, all right. Back to Totoro. So mm-hmm. if memory serves, part of the reason we wanted to go with My Neighbor Totoro is that it is a delightful film. Mm-hmm. And we felt like while our last several episodes were timely and important, they were also a bit dark grim yes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and we felt like maybe it would be nice to just have kind of an og in the before times just like playful whimsical episode mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah we need that too we're, we're not just bringing that because we're like friends at home need it we're like we also don't mm-hmm. want to sit and talk for an hour ish about something depressing I mean, not always. Not always, right? No, I mean, I mean, like, not right now no, is what I mean. No, not because, right Because, friends at home, we finished our book. Yay! Yay! <laughs> it is written. It is to the publisher. Oh, yeah. They have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Jay Salvador, who is one of our favorite humans, did the art for it, and he has completed the art, and it is just fucking delightful. It is so beautiful. And we we cannot wait for you to be able to have this physical book in your hands. Unfortunately, physical book in your hands will not be possible until May the 4th, 2021. Mm -hmm. But, but, pre-sales will happen in the winter. Mm -hmm. You can know that it's coming. Right. We will provide I, a I link mean, once we have a link for pre-orders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, we're feeling really positive and happy yes. about this huge accomplishment we've made. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, so sitting down and talking about something really sad was like, I don't want to do that. No, let's, let's be in this happy place, at least for a while. Yeah, let's be in this happy place. Let's be in the celebratory, mm-hmm. mission-accomplished place. Yes. And, and as, you know, I would say, I think both you and I have been exploring the emotional multifacetedness of this time mm-hmm. um, with our clients, the folks that we work with. And one of the things mm-hmm. that certainly have been kind of coming up on a more regular routine um, for me in terms of my clinical work is this idea that it is possible to hold a sense of happiness or whimsy, or celebration, or all of those things, while still acknowledging that things are really hard, one Mm -hmm. doesn't kind of preclude the other. Um, And this is maybe the light side, if you will, of the reality that as human beings, we can feel so many different contradictory things at once. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so real. Mm Mm-hmm. And so... No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and that's why... um, the concept of parts that we have various parts is so is so resonant for me because that helps me make sense of it (laughs) would you like to just do a quick definition of of parts in case this is like the first episode that a a human is listening to (laughs) they're like 47 that's where i'm jumping in yeah you know Um, not too not too soon not even midway through a good solid 47 (laughs) an even and an odd number both of which in Jungian uh psychoanalysis are power numbers oh oh it's the power up well a four is and a seven is i don't know about 47 but you know Mm -hmm. we're gonna riff okay all right great um yeah so the idea of a multiplicity of the brain uh comes from this dude dick schwartz (laughs) Um, he did not create it he just wrote it down um, I, I like to give voice to that because I'm, I think we've got way too much guru worship in all aspects of life. And Woof. particularly, mm-hmm. you know, psychology is just as prone to to guru worship. Um, yeah, he did not create parts. Parts existed. He just was like, oh, hey, parts and wrote them down. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a style of therapy called internal family systems, which assumes that there are many parts of ourselves that have different feelings at different times and they have different needs. Yes. And all the parts are led by the capital S self, which is a label that, to be honest, I don't much enjoy. Hmm. But it is the label that was given to us by Richard. What would you rather call it? I don't know. Uh, I haven't gotten that far, but where I definitely am at is that, like, <laughs> I just don't like the capital S self. Something would about it like feels to- like elementary school. I mean, we're talking about parts. That's pretty elementary. I know, but I don't mean like elementary is in basic. I mean like literally elementary school, like when you learn about capital and lowercase letters. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. I mean, I, I. That's where my head was at too. It's like we're talking about parts. Like it makes me think of kindergarten. Um, oh, who was my teacher? Oh, she was such a sweet lady. Oh. Um. Yeah, I I saw a meme the other day that was like, when when did you f- have your first black teacher? And I was like, kindergarten. Oh, kindergarten. That's I had my first black teacher, um, black woman teacher. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I ever had a a, a black man as a teacher. Well, in, I mean, I think Phil would count, but you're right. It wasn't in, in grade a, school. It wasn't in grade school. Yeah. No. It, 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 was a, it was it was well down the line. Well down the line. Yes, your brain was fully developed by the time <laughs> Phil became your teacher. Um, uh, I I need to stop trying to think of what her name is. Um, but I remember in our classroom there was a bathroom, and there was a little like sign on the bathroom that you would flip that would say like it it was 
it was like green for empty and red for occupied. Sure. Right? And someone didn't flip the sign. And oh. someone else walked in on somebody else in the potty. Sure. And this just delightful teacher would just made it into like what's the big deal were their feet on their head was, was their nose on their <laughs> belly button like Aww. was something weird happening and we were all like no <laughs> but that made me think like were there parts in different places <laughs> yeah that was a journey but i see where you got that <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, you're welcome. Thank you. Yes. How did we get here? Um, I invited you to define parts, and it just it took us on a little ride. Yeah, it always does. It always does, and then, but then it, it nicely enough brought us back to our neighbor, your neighbor, our neighbor Totoro. My my neighbor Totoro. Wow. Yeah. Eventually, I got it. I got to the right pronoun. Mm -hmm. Um. I think it nicely brings us back to Totoro because Totoro, he feels, or they maybe, because Totoro isn't gendered. Totoro has Totoro has no gender. Totoro has no. Or Totoro Totoro hasn't told us their gender. Totoro. Totoro. Okay, we're getting a note from our producer that the correct pronunciation is Totoro. 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 <laughs> so you mean Totoro or Totoro? The first way you did it. Totoro. Totoro. Okay, so the, the emphasis is on the second syllable. Yes. Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's like Sanskrit. All right. Wow. Just learning something new every day about you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so bringing it back to Totoro, who very much functions as it's partially a guide. Like, Totoro has a teacher vibe to me, but as I'm thinking about it, I don't know. Well, Totoro does, he, like, they teach, they teach the girls how to make the, um, the tree, the little tree pods grow. Saplings. Mm -hmm. There it is. <laughs> that, that was the word you were looking for, huh? Sapling? <laughs> it was. <laughs> is it the wrong word? No, it's just, that's not what I thought you were reaching for. No, that's okay. Currently, half of my brain is right now focused on how to pronounce Totoro correctly, because as you know, <laughs> pronunciation in any language is very hard for me. <laughs> yeah, it's, you think about like Shavasana. It's the second, it's the second one. <laughs> I do appreciate you offering me that. I don't think that's going to help, but I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Tadasana. <laughs> now I'm having I'm like getting flashbacks to like choral music vocal exercises to work on enunciation. <laughs> All right, we've gone way far afield. Let's bring it back in. So okay. for those of you who don't know, and for for whatever reason you were like, I don't really know about my neighbor, my neighbor Totoro, but I really want to listen to this episode. Here's a brief synopsis. Um, this this movie is set in Japan, as I think almost all of the Studio Ghibli films are. Um, and it centers around a father and his two daughters. And they are moving to the countryside to be, I think, near to their the girl's mother, who is in a mm -hmm. hospital for an unnamed illness. But I believe... An unnamed long-term illness. Yeah, I think it's tuberculosis. Now, what was the 50s? It, I mean, it takes place in the 1958, so that would make sense. Yeah. Um, and I hadn't thought of this when I was rewatching it, but in that way, it was also, I think, very appropriate for the time in which we're living because it's a lung condition. Like, mom has a lung condition. Mm. And the girls are really scared, and dad tries to be present for their feelings, like, be present for them with their feelings, but also reassure them that everything will be okay, despite the fact that he doesn't really he doesn't know that. He doesn't really know that. Um, and when they make it to their country home in the first probably like five minutes of the film, um, they meet just a lovable cast of predictably quirky characters 
Mm -hmm. who start to plant this idea of forest spirits being present in their new home and in like the surrounding Mm -hmm. area. And Totoro is one of those spirits, and so are the soot sprites. And and Totoro has these little friends, and I don't know if they have names. I'm sure they do. But there's like a a tiny Totoro Mm -hmm. and and an even tinier one. (laughs) They're just so cute. And the way they walk is so cute. And I was thinking about Mm -hmm. it when we were talking about the book at the start of the episode that, um, spoiler alert for the book, Totoro is not in the book in a yoga sequence. But I was like, wouldn't it be cute? To do like a pictorial representation of Totoro doing yoga. (laughs) A few years ago, there's an artist, and I am so sorry, artist, I cannot remember who you are, who did a series of um, Totoro working out. And it's, and they're animated. Wow. So, so Totoro's got on like a sweatband, like 1980s style, like doing jumping jacks. And it's so fucking cute. Could probably Google Totoro working out and find them. That feels real. I mean, if I can find a a link to it, I'll include it in the liner yeah. notes here. Folks but I home. mean, this is a good note for book two. Right. This, this should really be included in book right. two. That's what the world needs. The world needs more Totoro moving and you know the movie also does a really great job of putting forth the idea of like movement at all varieties of body size Mm, because later on when the girls catch you know like properly sized Totoro and his his little his group of like mini to moderately sized Totoros doing the dance (laughs) to make the saplings grow into trees one of the things you see is that they're all very sprightly oh yeah they're they are all they are all moving their bodies, mm-hmm. doing uh, the the OA type dancing. Oh my god, I had not made that connection. <laughs> I hadn't either till right this second. Oh, that's beautiful. There was a <laughs> complicated franchise. Uh, yeah, it was all right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they were kind. Of, they were doing body magic. You know, it's mm-hmm. like hand magic from the magicians. Yeah, or body magic from the OA. And and yeah, they they were all into it, regardless of body size or shape. Because you know what, we can all make saplings grow. We sure can, mm-hmm. <laughs> metaphorically and sometimes literally, mm-hmm. if we do the right dance and are sure about you know the water proportions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I what I loved. And this is the first time that I've seen this, although I've been familiar with the character of Totoro for a long time hmm. and have, have found them to be just adorable and delightful because they are. Um, it's the first time I've watched the film. And what I what st- what stood out to me was that the adults never tell these girls they yeah. aren't seeing what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. And from a family therapy perspective, that is just that chef's kiss. Sure. Because there's no winning in telling a child they're not seeing what they're seeing. No. No, because especially at the age that both of the children are at, that would simply translate to them in their minds and bodies into, oh, you don't believe me. You don't Mm -hmm. trust my perceptions. Mm -hmm. And I rely on you to validate my perceptions. And if you don't validate my perceptions, then I start to question my perceptions with at this stage in my growth and development are also pretty connected to my identity. Right. Yep. Yeah. So now I will doubt myself as mm. I grow. Right. Can I trust my own eyes? Can I trust my own experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these are these are folks who, and this is a sweeping generalization, right? right? But you know, you extrapolate that out far enough. These are folks who have anxiety in the future and are like, "Uh, is what I said okay? Yeah. Is this situation the way that I interpreted it?" Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, uh. You know, but if mm-hmm. if you say to kids like, oh, you met a, a, a forest spirit? Tell me more about that. Yeah, tell me more about that. What was that like? Oh, yeah. Wow. What was their name? What did they look mm-hmm. like? I know. And as we're talking about this, it I mean, very much we're talking about the fundamentals of play therapy for children. It is mm-hmm. very much it's engaging them in this imaginative world building. And you can do it with words. You can do it with like sand and little like 
a wide variety of different kinds of like figurines and movable characters. But the foundation of it is, as you're saying, it's, it's honoring the story that the child brings to you. Mm -hmm. And this is a place where having it be child led, I think is super appropriate. Um, I, and I'm putting it that way because I do, I tend to have a bias related to more recent, I suppose it's called attachment parenting and this idea mm -hmm. of, to me, it feels like it's gone to an extreme place of like letting everything be child led, like letting your four year old lead like dinner and chores and playtime and right. when bedtime is and that uh, tiny yeah, bodies, they're mm -hmm. not like that's not necessarily going to serve them. Like they need some some supportive and safe rules and structure from whoever their kind of core caregivers are. Mm -hmm. But it's super appropriate in terms of play and story. Yeah, let that be child-led. Be curious about what your kid is telling you about the large furry Totoro that they met in the tree. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. and when, when little May tries to lead her sister and father to meet Totoro herself and yeah. and she can't they don't get frustrated with her nope you know dad is just like well and and we should give voice to the fact that like this this is a this is a part of mm -hmm. Shinto religion yep that that there are spirits mm -hmm. um, yeah of all things right mm -hmm. and so like it it's not as though she was like, I have this imaginary friend. Like she was like, Hey, I, I had this basically I had this religious experience. Right. Um But she doesn't understand it from that perspective. She understands it from no. like, I saw an imaginary friend and it's dad, like she brings this experience to dad and it's dad mm -hmm. and I'm forgetting what they're she's very much an adoptive grandmother figure, but very much a grandmother figure. Do you remember? They call her granny. Granny. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, we're just going to go with granny then. And like, and granny reinforces this idea too, but dad like may brings the story and dad kind of helps her understand it within the Shinto mythology of saying, mm -hmm. Oh, you must've encountered the spirit of the tree. And mm -hmm. then he takes them to one of the tree shrines. And there's that like lovely scene where he thanks the tree for looking after May. Mm -hmm. I know. It's, it's like it makes me a little, it's a little dusty in here. I know. Mm -hmm. Right. So not only, and like clearly this does fit within dad's worldview, mm -hmm. but, but also, I mean, he's, he's a busy guy. He's got a sick wife. He's a college it's professor. True. Like he's a busy dude. And he's like, no, you know what? You... <laughs> I affirm what you saw and what you experienced. And in fact, let's go all together. Give thanks for this experience that you had. Oh, that is such a, I mean, I think that's exactly what it is. The way you translated mm -hmm. that. Let's give thanks and, to this imaginative experience. Mm -hmm. And my God, how amazing would that be mm. for kids to have an experience like that? You know, kid comes to you and says, I'm a dog, which is a very popular way for children to play, right? Very, uh, yes. Mm -hmm. You're like, what kind of dog are you? I'm a Pomeranian. That's what kind of dog I would be. Um, <laughs> and you'd be an excellent Pomeranian. I imagine that you would have uh, like yellow, almost like white fur. I think I would. I think I would have white fur. Mm -hmm. Um I I would need to, I would need to be cleaned regularly, but <laughs> oh, sure. But don't we all, you know, <laughs> regular grooming? Um, <laughs> but you know, if if the parent of that child who wants to be a dog is like, wow, how great! And yeah. what do you, you know, what do Pomeranians like to do? And what do Pomeranians like to eat? And what would can can we go and see some other Pomeranians? Mm -hmm. You know, like let's go to the dog park. You know, <laughs> like. Just really not just embracing, but mm -hmm. honoring yeah. the child's experience, how powerful that would be. Mm -hmm. And I can I can hear someone at home going, aren't you in encouraging delusions? <laughs> I could hear that person too, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and to you I say, I see, I see your skeptical part, and I respect your skeptical part. Mm-hmm. 
and well, and, the, and a fearful part perhaps mm-hmm. well and it's interesting this is reminding me of and i wish i could find it and i should probably try and research and find it again i have this like sort of like vague memory of reading the c.s lewis essay mm-hmm. when i was a kid which explains like why i can't figure out how where how to track it down Mm-hmm. But he was writing it kind of in defense of the fantasy books that he and his good friend and also probably romantic partner, um, J.R.R.L. Tolkien. I appreciate fans, fans of Tolkien. This is my personal <laughs> fan fiction of these two, real person fan fictions of these two humans. This is my fan fiction. It's not, maybe it's not reality and it doesn't have to be your fan fiction. It is mine though and that's why I'm giving voice to it. At any rate, C.S. Lewis wrote this essay defending the writing of fantasy novels for children and then the reading of fantasy novels to Mm -hmm. children and by children. Um, And his comparison was between fantasy novels versus, I remember he called them girl and boy books. And it stands out in my memory because I remember as a kid being like, what are girl and boy books? Um, And based solely on this recollection of this essay I read years ago, it seemed like (laughs) he was referring to maybe more... um, a more advanced version of like Dick and Jane books. So books sure. about like more like realistic fiction books. Mm-hmm. And his point was that children on a core comprehension level understand the difference between fantasy and reality. Mm-hmm. And if you make the fantasy really clear, like talking lions and alternate universes, the child is going to know right off the bat that this is fantasy and they're in the world of myth. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to start to understand how to interpret it from a mythological perspective. Whereas in these like more realistic stories, girl and boy books, as he called them, it becomes confusing, confusing. The child mm-hmm. may start, may think of it as, is this because there aren't such clear markers of it being fiction, they might start to interpret and think of it as real life and almost like a real life how to guide on how to be mm. a human. Mm-hmm. And so all of this is to say that, especially when, when we're talking about kids, I don't, I think kind of parents can like breathe in maybe and let out some pressure in the site around the idea that engaging in fantasy play with your child, it's not, you're not teaching them to be a dog. No. Because no, they know they're not a dog. They know they they're not. They just a want dog. to embody one for a little while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they want to engage in real time in myth making. Hmm. Yeah. And we don't lose that as we age. I mean, we do because society bangs, us out, bangs it out of us, but yeah. we delight in play as adults too, mm-hmm. if we give ourselves permission. Yeah. And Totoro really does invite, it just invites any, a viewer of any age, to be playful. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, the, um, so that's when May first sees Totoro. And then a little ways down the, down the line, it's raining. Mm-hmm. And May and her older sister, uh, Sat- Satsuki, uh, go to the bus stop. To meet mm-hmm. their dad with an umbrella so that he doesn't have to walk home in the rain. How delightful. Thoughtful children. Very thoughtful. Um, but then this was dad... also a time when children could just wander around. <laughs> well, and I don't want to get too far down this road, but I, I don't. It feels like there's always been dangers for children. This idea that there was some like mythical time in the past when it was safer for them to wander around. How much was that true versus how much was it the case that adults' perceptions of what was safe and what wasn't for their kids have shifted mm-hmm. over time. No, I just mean they were allowed. Yes, Not that it was fair safer. enough. Fair enough. Like, I, when I was a kid, I was allowed to, like, you would just leave the house mm-hmm. and be back at sundown. Right. Like, that's, that was just what you did. It, it would have been well past sundown by the time they were like, hmm, do you think she's maybe not okay? <laughs> right yeah because dad gets he misses he misses the bus he's supposed to be on so they just stand mm-hmm. there in the rain and she yeah. and she holds may she puts may on her back mm-hmm. and it's very cute and then mm-hmm. their friend totoro arrives again 
and it starts to rain, so he puts a leaf on his head. That's right. And if, if as an adult, you can watch mm-hmm. this big, furry, adorable forest <laughs> spirit put a leaf on his head and not experience joy, I invite you to question what society has told you is okay and what is not okay. Yeah, and maybe like it's an invitation to pause and notice like what are what are the feelings that are that are coming up for you and do you feel like you're maybe being weighed down by stuff? Mhm. Because it is just objectively adorable and delightful and invites uh, it, it's it's funny and it's sad and and then and the cat uh, bus comes. Well, but even before that, Satsuki, this is the first time she's seen Totoro. And then she's like, oh, I now I've seen him and he's getting wet. So she hands him her the umbrella she had brought for her father. Mm-hmm. And Totoro is utterly delighted. Well, do you remember she has to teach him how to use it? Like, he's really not sure. <laughs> He's like, what is this amazing human contraption? And then he puts it over his, or they put it over their head and make the rain fall so that they can experience the rain not falling on their head. I mean. It's real cute. That's, oh. I I don't have anything psychological to say about that. It's just delightful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because it's really delightful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I, hmm, I'm trying to, now I'm, I'm taking this up and I'm like, is there something psychological to be said about it? Perhaps not that scene in, I mean, if we wanted to like go deep in the play therapy realm, it would be that part of, part of why, I don't know if it's pronounced Satsuki or Satsuki, so I'm going to throw both in there. Part of maybe why she saw Satsuki. Right. But when they pronounce it in the movie, they don't really say the you. Oh, they say Satsuki? Satsuki. Is what I heard, but I'm also oh. Polishifying it. I'm very aware because I'm adding the T before that, <laughs> like Satsuki, right? Order to Klotzki. Um, Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to know. <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, I think maybe a con- um, a standard play therapy lens for that would be so they were waiting for the bus, her and her sister, and they got tired, and maybe they were cold and they were scared, and so they imagined this like guardian figure. Hmm. To be present with them in a reassuring and whimsical way. And that they used their surroundings and their five senses ability to tune into their surroundings to help inform the mythic figure that they conjured. Which I think maybe is a nice way to kind of lead into one of the things that we were had on the docket to talk about today, which is this idea of using mindfulness to pause Mm -hmm. and to offer yourself the opportunity to notice your present physical surroundings. Mm -hmm. Particularly if your present physical surroundings feel like a neutral to positive place to be. And for those folks who... After I said that, maybe you thought to yourself, well, I don't know if I experienced my home that way. Mm-hmm. I would say that's real. Yeah. You know, not all of us have the privilege or the ability to seek out a home that's going to be safe for us, um, especially when we're children. You know, we don't we don't choose mm-hmm. our parents. We don't choose our home in many ways. And so this would be an invitation to if your if your home maybe isn't the most secure place for you or maybe even because of everything going on with the pandemic you're like i just i'm so tired of my home right and these several rooms or maybe the very few rooms in which i reside this mm-hmm. would be an invitation to maybe take yourself out on a mindful walk mm-hmm. and use your five senses to notice and take in mm-hmm. your environs yeah and maybe imagine mm-hmm you know, I I consider myself very fortunate. Uh, the The Midwest has some downsides. Um, the <laughs> The passive mm-hmm. aggression being a big one, but also winter. Mm-hmm. Um, also, glorified rice 
pardon to all those listeners who love glorified rice, but what is that? Um, it is, it's like a rice pudding, sometimes mayonnaise concoction with a variety oh, no, no. of no. sugar as soon and as you sort said of mayonnaise, fruit. We're done. <laughs> Some That's say it has like a, a similar consistency to tapioca pudding. I like tapioca pudding. Sometimes it involves rice. Sometimes it doesn't. It often involves celery. I, I'm more confused than when we started. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but winter's a big downer. But um, in my neighborhood, I, there yeah. is a, um, there's a creek. Mm-hmm. And there, there's some woods by the creek. And there's little critters. And, you know, sometimes we take the dogs for a walk on the side of the creek that is, you know, that's woodsy. Mm-hmm. And we can pretend that, you know, we're out in a, in a deep woods and, yeah. you know, just for just for a few minutes so we can pretend. Yeah. And I I know not everybody has that ability, but if if near your home there's a park, mm-hmm. um, you know, the the positive thing about being in Minneapolis is all the fucking lakes, because it, it if you can just tune out all those other humans you can pretend you're somewhere else. It's true. Um, but, you know, wherever you are, engaging those five senses and taking mm. yourself into a, a a land of make-believe for a little while. Yeah. And if you don't have access to a park, like, just finding a tree. Even in the most urban places, there often mm. are some trees. And go into that tree and maybe... And, like, you know, if you want to hug the tree, you can. We certainly support you in that. Um mm-hmm. But sometimes just like going to the tree and like putting your hands on it and like, again, using five senses to be like, how does it smell? Mm -hmm. How does it feel? What's the texture? Can I hear the sound of like the wind in the leaves Mm -hmm. or its branches or both? If you, I mean, I suppose you could taste the bark, but depending on how urban it is, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that, especially not right now. Um, (laughs) I wouldn't go around licking unknown trees. No, no, I would not. I would not either. So (laughs) it may be more like four senses. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And taking in like, how does it look? What are the, what are the different like shades of brown on the bark? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, trees are really cool. When, when you really sit with them and look at them and touch their bark, like I, um, I went to see the the giant, giant, giant trees in Northern California, um, and it, it it was it. I didn't have this language for it at the time, but mm-hmm. like it was the kind of awe inspiring that I would believe that those trees had forest spirits. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which I think is a really, it really nicely brings back this idea of one of like the central tenets, at least as I understand it, related to the Japanese Shinto religion and like mythological structure. It, it's really mm-hmm. grounded in the awe you feel that defies language. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I love that language because when was the last time you listener experienced authentic awe? Mm. Yeah. Right. And, and maybe pause for a second and, and ask yourself if, if it's been a while, when was the last time you remember experiencing awe? Yeah. And, and what, what were you in awe of? Mm-hmm. Because it's it's a powerful, and I'm going to use the word spiritual, and I mean this in in the sense of filling us up emotionally, yeah, right? Not in any sort of religious sense, because we we just don't kick it that way here. On yeah, the we pod. just don't kick it that way here. No, um, but I I do think spirituality in the sense of inside of us mm-hmm. there is. There is a part that needs meaning. <laughs> yeah. And some people call that part spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to fill that part up with stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, it might be the self. 
Because the self's really, you know, it loves curiosity and creativity. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, we don't need to go down that road right now. My (laughs) point being, we like stuff that gives us awe. And have you had any in a while? Mm -hmm. And if not, how could you recreate awe? I'm thinking, so like that, that experience of California, like that was, that was some authentic, deep nature awe. Mm -hmm. But I get that feeling of awe when I go see a movie I've been waiting a long time to see. Or that it's taken a real long time before it comes out. For me, it depends on the, like, the movie itself. Because sometimes Mm -hmm. I'll like really build up an experience and I'll go to the movie and I'm like, well, this... This was different than what I thought I was getting, which is the opposite of awe in some ways. (laughs) I'm going to use another example that's maybe a little bit more true for me, and it's not going to be true at all for you. And that's when I go see live theater. Yeah. No, that would be really true for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there is, to really kind of honor and recognize that, there is. There's like that directness that there's that like tangibility of seeing it mm-hmm. that is, I think in some ways when theater's really done well, this is my understanding from you and other folks that mm-hmm. I've had the privilege of working with, um, but that it's this idea that like you, you feel closer to the myth-making aspect of the story. Mm. And that I think, I think that does tap into a very maybe even like primal part of us as human beings. Um, Cause going back to our friend, JC, Joseph Campbell, not Jesus. Um, <laughs> like he's, he talks about that idea of like charting the development of mythology through the centuries of humanity mm-hmm. that really for most of our existence as a species, we did act out myth in real time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that's really yeah. an important part of the connective process. That's, it's real, that's a really important part of how we access the awe. And now, ooh, I'm going to take this now to like Walter Benjamin, who was a good friend of Bertolt Brecht, who I know you really enjoy. Um, <laughs> and like, so Walter Benjamin had that great essay about aura. And I think part of what he's attempting to talk or what he is talking about in that, in that essay is that is how do we, how do you maintain the aura when it's via a screen? Mm. When it's a painting that's been like, maybe this is like the thousandth version of it being reproduced. Yeah, there, there is something about seeing the original of something. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean... Mm-hmm. And this is like, this um, is the most woo I'm ever going to get, but like, it feels like it almost has like a vibrational quality to it. Like you can almost feel it, which is again, as woo as I'm ever going to get, but there it is. Yeah. I, uh, I'm not quite going to go there. There. But there, I think there is some sort of connection that we feel Mm -hmm. knowing that this is the thing the person touched. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like when I when I saw original Van Goghs at the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam, mm-hmm. like that, that did feel OK. There are two things in, in my life that I felt were true spiritual experiences mm-hmm. like sp- that felt. Yeah, we are getting a little woo that like felt like woo experiences. Mm-hmm. One was seeing Van, original Van Gogh. Yeah. And the other one was meeting Jensen Ackles. <laughs> wow. Let me just name for those of you who can't. Well, I was going to say for those of you who can't see my face. And I'm like, no one can see my face except for Justine. Um, <laughs> in no way was I expecting for you to tie those two things together. <laughs> I think I'm in but, awe. I think I'm experiencing awe right now. But if you think about it, it makes a ton of sense. <laughs> it does. Because that that was me interacting mm. with with the creator of this character. Like he embodied this character that is so meaningful to me. 
Yeah. And I, and I got to touch him non-sexually. It was all consensual. And if it had been sexual, it would have been consensual. But there, it, that just didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> I just want to be real clear. I appreciate you maintaining this level of clarity for our listeners. <laughs> but like, I, after, after I met him, mm-hmm. I understood some stuff about fandom that I mm-hmm. hadn't really understood before. Sure. About like why people have these huge experiences when they engage with fandom with with fandom characters like yeah. the the humans who embody their fandom characters mm-hmm. like i you know you see these you see this video of the beatles from the 60s right and people sure. are just weeping. weeping and screaming and right you know mm-hmm. having this visceral experience and i this is not something i have ever given any thought to but here we are mm-hmm. it's it's you are seeing the art the art is right in front of you the, sure. the creator is sure. right in front of you well i'm gonna push back on that very gently yeah or maybe it's not pushing back maybe it's like adding another component to it because mm-hmm. I think I'm with you. The art is there, and one of the creators of the art is there. Mm-hmm. Because the second creator yes. is you. And this is like Aww. getting to the power and potentially the shadow side of therapeutic fan fiction. And I would say maybe mm-hmm. just like fan fiction in general, or our ability to co create this beautiful, meaningful art mm-hmm. that transcends medium and experience. Like those folks who were weeping over the Beatles, yes, some of that had to do with John, Paul, Ringo. I'm missing one. John, Paul, Ringo. George. George. Sorry, George. R.I.P. He's fine. (laughs) Oh, well. You're right. He's totally fine. Um, Wherever he is. Um, Yes, it did. It had to do with them and their music and this thing that their fans had created and then the group experience of being with fellow fans together mm-hmm. and all of that emotional energy and the creativity and the imaginings that each fan had done in and around and about this art mm-hmm. and the creators, partial creators of this art. And part of the reason I really want to kind of highlight that is that, and we, this is something we talk about in the book too, right? That like there mm-hmm. really is, there can be that real shadow side to fandom and fandom attachments. Sure. If you get so deep into projecting onto John, Paul, George, and Ringo, <laughs> that you start to think that you really do know them. Sure. Or that you, or maybe you even give over agency of the creation of the art entirely to them. And they mm-hmm. do have some of the agency, but so do you. Sure. <clears throat> this is interesting because it, there are some areas in which it's a lot safer to, to do transference. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if transference is a new concept for you, listener at home, it's, it's the idea that we are projecting our feelings onto another person. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, th- this was Freud was real big on this. Yeah, he Fre- Freud it, kind of his whole thing was transference. He wanted the therapist to be a tabula rasa, a blank slate. That the that <laughs> it always makes me think of tabuli. That's why I'm chuckling. <laughs> the, t- the tabuli raisin. So that I just I just uh, imagine Freud <laughs> eating this t- some some tabuli and being like, "This is great." <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Freud ever thought anything was great. Um, oh, I mean, he probably did, but just every picture of him, he looks so stern. I could just see him with his his plate of tabbouleh and being like, "It is edible." <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I just made Lord to do a spit take. Luckily, I kept it in. That would have been a real bummer if I like if all that water got all on the keyboard and our monitor. <laughs> and I said it was edible. But it would have been just as funny because edible. I, edible. I'm glad that you made sure Freud. to highlight that for the folks in the back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry, everyone. Um, but yeah, his idea was like that the 
that the patient mm-hmm. is using the therapist to to like bounce their own feelings off of. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. and 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 we do we transfer all the time just as humans. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. um and so like when I went to see Van Gogh, yeah. I I was I was throwing all kinds of feelings at those paintings. Mm-hmm. And and that doesn't impact Van Gogh. No. He is he is unimpacted. Although if we were more woo. Sure. <laughs> and this is how we would go if we were more woo. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Is that he was greatly impacted by the future feelings of people's projections. Yep. Yep. But we're not woo. <laughs> but if you are, mazel. Yeah, mazel. Mm-hmm. Um, right, we're not hating on woo. No. Um, yeah, so when, when I had transferred all my feelings about mm-hmm. Dean Winchester onto Jensen Ackles, it didn't really impact him because I met him for 15 seconds. But I got to have a big emotional experience. Mm-hmm. And, it was, and it, it was a real emotional experience. Mm-hmm. Just like it's a real, it was a real emotional experience when you had that encounter with Van Gogh's artwork. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, like Jensen was involved and Van Gogh was involved and all the feelings are real. It's just, I think what can get tricky and it's probably a thing that I don't know if one can, no matter like how integrated a human being is i would i think it'd be hard to like do this in the moment of that awe-filled encounter mm-hmm. it, it, it's hard to separate it out yeah and maybe and this, then benjamin would be like you don't need to separate it out just have the experience yeah well and i i want to tie this back to totoro <laughs> yeah because because those little girls are having a big emotional experience they are. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Totoro is really allowing them to have that. Yeah. He's helping them connect with nature and safety and mm-hmm. hope as they really worry about their mom. Right. And he, and he offers them tools. He's like, hey, I see you really attached to me. Yeah. Let me help you out here. Mm-hmm. Here are some seeds to grow your own trees. Right. And you're worried about your... So at at one point, May is very worried about her mom. She wants to walk to the hospital and she just kind of disappears. Yeah, she does. It's, right. it's very frightening. And, and Satsuki, Satsuki... However you I'm say sorry. her name. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> um, goes to the camp for tree and, and sort of prays <laughs> for Totoro to... To help yeah. her. And he's like, yeah, you bet. Yeah. Here's a cat bus. This <gasps> cat bus will take you to find your sister. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then the cat bus will take you to see your mom. Mm-hmm. And I love when the cat bus, like, it, it changes its little like display. Yeah. And I didn't, it, I didn't realize what the display was saying, but it goes from, I think it has like different shrines that are listed mm-hmm. on the display. And then it, when, um, when Satsuki, Satsuki, our friend, when she gets on the bus, it then changes to May. Mm-hmm. And the cat bus just takes her right to May, who's at a different shrine. And she'd fallen asleep from all the walking. Mm. And she wanted to bring her mom that corn. Thought it was healing corn. That was healing corn. Yeah, it's just, it's just so yeah. charming, and there there's a there's a beautiful example mm-hmm. of fandom attachment. Yes, that that is that is that is pure and beautiful. Mm-hmm. They they attached to Totoro. Totoro felt. The, 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 I don't know, charmed. Charmed and a little confused by them, especially in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> but but was like they're they just they really love me and that's great and they're harmless and right. I, this is I can do a small thing for them. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and, and maybe like very much going on along with like the mythology in the in the film and in um, the the Shinto religion, kind of in general, is this idea that Totoro, as a tree spirit, is is helping folks all the time. Mm-hmm. It's part of what they do. Mm. He's a helper. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's so sweet. Yeah. Well, we went so many places today. We did. We went so many places. And they all felt uplifting, I hope. I think so. I mean, one never knows, right? I mean, our listeners are going to bring their own experiences and pieces sure. to this. Sure, they're having their own feelings and experience. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, listener at home, I'm sorry. If you're having a sad, that is your feeling to have. Yes, and we, we've, we are here with you and we support you in feeling whatever you are feeling. Mm-hmm. Before we completely wind down, I want to circle back to this idea of mindfulness and finding space, a safe space to, to be mindful. Because mm-hmm. um, as I was thinking about it here as we're kind of winding down, it occurred to me that, you know, there are lots of reasons why a person might not be able to actually physically get outside, not the least of which is like perhaps they are in a hospital. Sure. Like Satsuki and May's mom. Mm-hmm. And um, if you are and you have access to the Nintendo Switch, which I appreciate our big ifs, it's also the if that like you're conscious as well, right? Because you're not going to play a video game when you're unconscious. Again, recognizing that perhaps when one crossed the line from this conversation into woo, so many different things are possible. But we're going to stay on this side of <laughs> this side of the woo barrier for today. Um, that um, there are lots of video games that I think do a really lovely job of inviting the player into a more mindful, um, almost like contemplative space. Um, mm-hmm. The one that almost always comes to mind initially for me is the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild video game. Because mm. they worked so hard to make that open world look and feel like the outdoors, like the countryside mm. of Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you can as as the avatar link just like really be focused on the story and like battling the the little goblin guys and then larger goblin mm. guys and um going in the divine beasts and figuring all that stuff out but you can also just spend time like gathering ingredients learning how to make paella <laughs> and you can just solve like cute little wor- like word and like picture puzzles from the kokairi who are who are basically like the forest spirits Mm. of my neighbor Totoro but in Breath of the Wild and it really I think it does it offers you the chance to just kind of give your senses up to the world of Hyrule and the countryside of Hyrule mm-hmm. so whether you're at home or in the hospital or wherever you are if you have the privilege of a Nintendo Switch and you can't maybe like get outside and do the nature thing outside Breath of the Wild can be a really great way and my neighbor Totoro as well, to immerse yourself in that world of imaginative play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and if you don't have a Switch, if you have access to a computer or a phone, you could mm-hmm. watch someone else do a playthrough. That's true. You could jump on that Twitch. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always thinking outside the box. That's true. <laughs> right you are, sir. Right you are. You could draw a picture of the outside. <laughs> oh, you could. You could paint. You could uh-huh. craft something. Like a yeah. mala bead or... It's not needlepoint. People don't really do that much. Well, perhaps you do. Perhaps you needlepoint, crochet. cross-stitch. Cross-stitch. There we go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love a good cross-stitch. I mean, to see one. I, I don't know how. Like, I know in theory how. <laughs> I feel like if at any point, you know, perhaps in your retirement, if you're like at a loss of things to craft, I could see you taking that up. I would be super into that. I'm hoping that Mm -hmm. my retirement comes like very quickly after the release of this book. (laughs) I hope that everybody loves it. Yeah. It's a New York Times bestseller. (laughs) I mean, I don't think that that's going to happen to that intensity. So... It's okay to why, fantasize about that. Why are you hurting my dream? 
Okay, that's fair. I'm going to stay over here. <laughs> you are you are not engaging in play with me. You're right. I'm not engaging in imaginative world building. I'm like, let's come back down to, to earth here. And you're like, I don't want to do that. Go away. Scott. I don't want to do that. I want to <laughs> pretend that we have a New York Times bestseller and we're on a speaking tour where we make um, enough money to live on. And then mm -hmm. I retire to Hawaii and cross-stitch. Great. Well, I'm going to join you in the the beach, the imaginative beach in Hawaii, and you're cross-stitching, mm -hmm. and I'm probably trying to tell you about the latest Tolstoy biography I've read and, <laughs> and compare and contrast it with the other Tolstoy biographies I've read. <laughs> oh, that'll be nice. It'll be like listening to a podcast, but you're just right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so true. That's true. Well, because I wouldn't have anything to add to no, the conversation, so no. I would literally just be listening. You'd just to be you listening talking. to my thoughts on Tolstoy <laughs> while I'm cross stitching, and you would stop talking, and I, I'd be like, "Where do where do I push next episode?" <laughs> I'd probably be up getting us some more um, fruit beverages, maybe some fruit smoothies. Oh, mango! Mm -hmm. mm. Love a good mango. See, this is something else you can do at home, friends. Sometimes you can just imagine in your very own mind. That's right. Possible futures that may never happen. And you know what? I yeah. know for some folks that that causes feelings of grief. And if it does for you, then maybe this isn't your jam. But sure. I, I love a little self-visualization. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm... I don't know if this book's going to be a New York Times bestseller. Realistically, probably not. But you know what? I'm hanging on to that image in my mind. Mm -hmm. And it just it sparks a lot of joy for me. Um, in, in honor of that, I would like to share with you and our listeners a, a quote by one Albert Camus. Oh God, we just, we don't have enough Camus in this thing. We don't, we don't, you know, we were missing out on, on the French. Um, <laughs> so I, I sort of remember this quote, but full disclosure, uh, listeners, I totally had to look it up because when I partially remember things, it means that what comes out is invariably not as elegant as the actual writer in this case, Albert intended. So here we go. In the midst of winter, I found there was within me an invincible summer. Hmm. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. It, it makes me think of Frankel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But 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 more elegant. Fra Fra Frankel was a, a, just a bit more utilitarian. I was about to say something that would have been uh, culturally stereotyping, but I stopped myself because I was like, you know what? The world doesn't need any more of that. And were you going to say something about the effusiveness of the French? Yes. <laughs> and potentially the um, utilitarianism of the Germans. Mm. But that is, I think, something that, like, it's a cliche because there's some, there's like a kernel of truth there, but it also, like, really ignores the rich tapestry of both cultures. Mm hmm Like, you know, German romanticism, for one. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what did we talk about today? Just so many things. Um, in no particular order, we talked about internal family systems, parts. Mm -hmm. um, what would an episode at this point be without parts? I know. I, maybe we should just call it the parts of the Starship Therapies. Starship Therapies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, we'll just, we'll keep workshopping that. Workshop. Um, um, we talked about mindfulness. Mm-hmm. We talked about play therapy. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we talked about myth and our favorite, Joseph Campbell. Um, and we talked about different ways to engage mindfulness, mindfully, using five senses, mm -hmm. using the outdoors, using your imagination, mm -hmm. using video games and movies that allow you to really kind of breathe deep and take in the artistic awe of the natural world. Mm. And then we talked about at the very end here, one, one Albert Camus and his way <laughs> of finding that internal sense of peace 
that internal sense of summer. And we hope for you listeners that this podcast helped you find a little bit of that. Aww. Yeah. I I hope we're part of your your play practice as well. Mm-hmm. Um and fandoms we talked about um uh, my neighbor Totoro and Totoro and <laughs> some pronunciation is hard. Uh Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. Um Vincent Van Gogh. Supernatural by way of uh Jensen Ackles. <laughs> but I think we talked about um like the power of like live artistic performance in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the 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 Hamilton on Disney Plus was as emotional for me as seeing it live. I and I know this is not I'm I'm respecting. I'm, respe- I'm trying to We are not in your fandom and that's okay. <laughs> it you is are, okay. You're being very respectful. It is okay. We may be at the helm of this ship, but we know who really keeps us running. Thank you to Ensign Kyle Rebar who composed our theme song. Thank you to Lieutenant Catherine Mandicat Duthie, who designed our beautiful cover art. And finally, thank you to our fabulous producer, Lieutenant Commander Brian Therens. You regularly inspire a sense of awe and wonder in that you can edit this podcast. (laughs) Join us for our next ep on something. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And the very best way you can support our podcast is to subscribe, rate, and especially review us on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to tell your friends. And as always, live long and and prosper. prosper.